Morning, everybody. You're in trouble. Is that what? Is that what you say when I stand up to preach? We're in trouble. Oh man. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's good to see you all this morning. Good to be together and yeah, worship, share life together. If you have your Bibles, please open them with me. Drum roll, please. Ephesians six. We are on the home stretch of our series uh, in the book of Ephesians. We've just been moving slowly, uh, just kind of letting God's work soak into our hearts in this beautiful, this beautiful book of Ephesians. So we've got a couple weeks left. Uh, Ephesians 6 is an interesting book. So today we're going to kind of finish up the, uh, some of the, the ways of the good news of Jesus shapes our relationships in our households. Uh, but then we're going to spend probably two more weeks looking at this unseen conflict in the world, the, what sometimes called spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6. And how, do we, how are we aware of it and prepare for that? Um, and so you can kind of, you can read through Ephesians 6, begin praying into that over the next couple of weeks as we, as we dive into that text. But this morning, this morning uh, we're looking at uh, the first couple of verses. But before we get that, can we just say thank you, God, for some sunshine? Anybody else? This is like, I love this. I love mornings here when like the sun is like streaming into the building, like through Jesus. That's kind of cool up there, right? And you just get to like stand in the, in the warmth of it. Um, man, everything is better with a little sunshine. I, I love it. So um, the book of Ephesians is so beautiful and so powerful. And, and so sometimes it's good to just kind of keep the, the little bits, the little chunks that we look at on Sunday mornings to keep them in context of the whole story. Like the big story that the Apostle Paul who's writing this text is, is wanting us to hear and to know and to live into. And so Ephesians tells the story. It's the story of the gospel. It says the world is full of human beings, people made in God's image, people who in the beginning were given authority to rule and to reign over God's good world, over his creation. And um, we were created to live these human beings, us, we were created to live in God's light and in his life and then to share his life with the rest of the world. But God gave us, human beings, the freedom to choose, to choose to be in relationship with him or to choose to, to go our own way. And as we all know, the story goes, we didn't choose well. We chose to go our own way. We chose to, to what the Bible calls sin or rebellion. And, and sin is just this act of turning our backs on our creator, turning our backs on God and, and, and wanting to be our own God. And so this is what human beings did. And in doing so, we created um, this distorted version of ourselves. Like because we're cut off from our lifeline to God, it, it distorts something about who we were always meant to be. Rather than bringing light and life into the world, we, we chose darkness and death, and then we spread that into the world. And, and we see it. This world is full of so much pain, so much brokenness. And we feel the brokenness in ourselves. We feel it in our relationships, in the, in the world around us. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 says, our condition outside of Jesus, before Jesus, is like we were dead in our sins. It's like we're spiritually dead. We're alive, but we're like the walking dead. I don't know if you guys watched, watched that show. Um, but that was kind of, it's a little grotesque maybe, but that was kind of our condition. It's like we're the walking dead. We, we look alive, but we're disconnected from our source of life. And our condition is we couldn't help ourselves. Like there's nothing we could do to like bring ourselves back to life, to make ourselves alive again. And so 
When we were dead in our sins, in our spiritual death, God showed us, Paul says, the endless riches of God's grace. I mean, the endless, boundless riches of God's grace through the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That this God, our creator, who we had rebelled against, he stepped into humanity, he became flesh and blood in the person of Jesus. And Jesus, when we look at him, he was like the undistorted human being. He's what we were always meant to be, but we couldn't be. And Jesus, he lived for us, and he died for us. And in his death on the cross, we sing about on Sunday mornings and we proclaim, um, in his death on the cross, he absorbed the consequences of our sin and rebellion. He absorbed um, all the, the punishment for our sin and rebellion, like my sin and your sin, like personally, but then the sins of the whole world, all of humanity's sins, past, present, and future, He took it all into himself and onto himself on the cross. And this news, like this this shocking reality was that death could not hold Jesus. That the power of God's love raised Jesus again from the dead. And through his resurrection, he conquered over sin and death. And the message of this is called the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's... um, And as Paul begins telling this story here in a book like Ephesians, he he writes these letters to these first Christians who are putting their faith in Jesus. It sends this like tidal wave of good news out into the world, right? A a tidal wave that doesn't bring destruction, but that makes things come alive, that renews things, that when we hear this message, it, it like transforms our hearts from the inside out. This message of, of grace and good news. And the reality is when our eyes are open to the truth that this is who God is, that this is what God has done for us in Jesus, that this is actually what we've needed all along. And when we turn around from our rebellion and we put our faith and our trust in him and we surrender to him, he makes us alive in Jesus. In fact, so the Bible talks about it as like we're, we're like reborn. We're, we're born from above. We're born of the Holy Spirit that he puts inside of us. That he puts his presence, his spirit inside of us to help us and to lead us and to guide us and to convict us and to comfort us. And those people who have put their trust in Jesus are what Paul calls the new humanity. You've been born again into this new humanity, this new reality where we're learning how now to walk out of our new identity through what Jesus has done for us. And that's who we are. Like as as a church family, that's what God is doing in us. He's creating us into be this, this new humanity. And so then Paul's like, okay, this is the reality. Now let's like, let's walk this out. How does this affect every part of our lives? And he says this in in chapter five, verses one. He says, now, follow God's example, therefore, because your dearly loved children walk in the way of love. So in this new humanity, um, we're learning what it means to be human from the person of Jesus. That um, we're not being discipled by the voices of our culture, social media, like, I mean, if, if we're not aware of this, we'll be discipled by Facebook or TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or whoever the voices are. Like, we're being formed by somebody. We're learning how to be human by, from somebody. And so in the new humanity, we're saying Jesus is the one who's teaching us. We're walking in his footsteps and learning how to walk in what Paul calls the way of love. And as we walk in the way of love, it changes everything. And here's the beautiful thing, is that God doesn't, When we surrender our lives to him, he doesn't just zap us 
and make us like automatically different, right? You might feel like, well, I still feel like an old human. I still feel like my old self. But the reality is like our hearts are being made new. His presence is now inside of us. And then he partners with us where we choose, we use our freedom to choose now to walk in his love and to follow him. That he doesn't just zap us, but we partner with him to to walk in love and he remakes us from the inside out. And this is the story we're in. Like this is what God is doing in us. This is what Alistair McIntyre says. Alistair McIntyre says, I can only know the answer to the question what am I to do if I can first answer, or if I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part? Do you know what story you're a part of? Do you know what story you're living into? I mean, this is, this is your story. It is the story. It is like the grand story that makes sense of everything. And when you can locate yourself in this, man, my little life here in Dover, Ohio, or wherever your hometown is, in my neighborhood, in my family, I'm a part of that story man, that everything begins to change. Do you know what story you're a part of? Like this, this is it. This is what gives us identity. And so this big story, as we've been looking at over the last couple weeks, it makes this difference in our households, in our families. The the good news of Jesus, next slide. Um, How does the gospel, the good news, reshape our household life? Um, The the principle that we talked about a couple of weeks ago in in 5 verse 21, if you you have your Bibles, take a look at that. Uh, Chapter 5 verse 21. So Paul, he's like, he's like zooming in now on, on households, like this, this like microcosm of everything else, like how we treat each other as families. And here's, he gives this overarching principle in verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So do you want to know how the gospel makes a difference in your relationships? He's like, okay, everybody submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Rather than playing that power over game where it's like, man, it's a, everything's a power struggle where I try to have power over you and you try to have power over me. And you, you know what that feels like, right? When everybody's just like trying to elbow each other to get the position of authority. It says in the church, in the new humanity, you know what we do? We play the power under game where we're like choosing to serve and lift each other up. That's what submitting to one another means. And and so we do that. That's the principle. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The gospel teaches us how to do that. And then last week we talked about husbands and wives, right? Husbands and wives, um, you guys are different from each other. You have different interests, different ways of seeing the world, going through the world. But marriage isn't, in in the gospel, isn't supposed to be a power struggle of like who, who... makes the final call on things and who, you know, has the ultimate authority. That's, that's not the way it works. It's mutual submission. It's choosing to serve one another in love. And, and he talks to husbands and he's like, okay, husbands, it's like in, in a culture where husbands had all of the authority, he's like, husbands, you're kind of in the place of Jesus here. What did Jesus do with all authority? He, he used it to serve and he used it to like, you know, to serve us, like his people, the church. And so husbands, use whatever authority you have to serve your wife, to to sort of place your needs under hers and care for her. And wives, do the same for your husbands. Put their interests ahead of yours. So this is like the gospel informs like marriage. And this is a beautiful picture of marriage. I mean, it's like stunningly beautiful when when that's the reality. And so what we're going to talk about today is like the next two pieces of this. Like Paul, he he goes into the rest of the household And he begins um, the next section by talking about children and parents. Children and parents. So let's read this text. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1, 2, 3. It says, Children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents said, there we go. All right, good, good, good. Kids aren't in the room, so that's all right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, which comes with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. So these letters that Paul wrote, and he's writing from a prison, like it's kind of a, a prison cell in Rome, and he writes these letters to people he loves, the church in Ephesus. And these letters would have been delivered, and then they would have been read aloud, right? They're just, they're read together, and then people would talk about them. And so as Paul is imagining this letter being read, he's imagining there's some kiddos in the room, right? There's, there's young people in the room, and he addresses them. Now, this has never been done before. Like, no other, in no other culture in that time would children be addressed as like, you, you have some decisions to make here, kids, because it was just assumed, kids, you're subject to your parents because they have the authority and they're going to lord it over you. And so Paul's doing something crazy here. He says, children. And when you heard that word children, you'd been like, what? Like he's, he's talking to me? Like he dignifies children by saying, children, you have a choice. And your choice, I'm asking you to choose to honor your parents, to, to obey your parents. When uh, last June, Grayson broke his leg. And, um, you know, he was riding a dirt bike and, you know, broke his leg, tib-fib fracture in his leg, um, ambulance ride from, from Orville up to uh, Akron Children's. And we'd never been to Akron Children's before, except maybe to visit people. Um, we'd never been a patient there. And, my goodness, if, if you have kids and they need care, like, such, a, such an amazing place, like, such an amazing place. And what both, struck both Carmen and I is, like, when we would come in, like we came into the emergency department, we're there, and every person who came into the room, do you know who they looked at and who they talked to? Not dad, and not mom, but Grayson. He was, he was the patient. He's not in here, so I'm just kind of pointing to this empty space, right? He was the patient. And they would call him by name, and they would say, how are you doing? What happened? And he would get to tell the story. And I loved it so much because they dignified him. Like they saw him, and he felt that. He felt saw, seen. Sawed, seen. Um, he got sawed on later. Oh, bad joke. Um, and that's what Paul's doing here. Children, like he dignifies them. And then he says this, obey your parents. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, everybody knows kids like need to be raised, right? Some of us are like, wow, well, maybe, you know, we're raised by wolves. But like children, we need to, to learn how to, to live. And, and it's best if we have parents who are going to, teach us how to live and teach us how to just be, how to grow into mature, complete people. Obey your parents. But then he says this interesting thing. Next slide, slide eight there. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to obey your parents in the Lord? Now, the, and the word Lord is interesting. It's the word like master. Obey your parents in the Lord, in the master. He's talking about Jesus which is, take a side note of this, this word Lord is gonna come up six times in the nine verses we're covering today. It's a big deal. Like obey your parents, but you do it in the Lord. Remember that gospel story we just told? The story of everything? The story of who God is and what he's done for us? It's like there's something about you obeying your parents that fits into this, this big story of the gospel. What's the motivation for obeying your parents? Well, it's not just because I have to. But it's because Jesus is at work in my heart and I, like, I want to. 
I want to honor my parents and I want to, to serve them and love them. Um, and, and I think it also, like, as we were talking about this with the kids, even like last night we were driving and I was like, hey, this is the text we're talking about tomorrow. Like, kids better shape up. And I didn't do that. But one of the kids asked, so like, what happens if your parents ask you to do something that isn't right? Am I supposed to obey them? And I think this in the Lord piece is, is helpful in that, right? Because like sometimes like, yeah, some of it, we didn't all grow up with great parents. And, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a little bit here. But I think there is this piece of saying like, what if my parents, what if my parents in, are using their authority to ask me to do something that goes against the authority of Jesus? And I think this like in the Lord piece is like Jesus is our ultimate authority, Right? So as, as parents, like, we do a great job if we learn from an early age to help our kids understand, hey, I'm here to help you and walk with you in this season of your life, but your authority is to Jesus. He, he's your authority. And I'm just here to help you and guide you in that. And I want to do my best. I'm going to fail. I'm going to do it imperfectly and all of that. Um, I had a mentor one time who said, when like, we were having kids and like, Brenda was about to be born, I was super nervous because I'm like, I'm not ready to be a dad and I don't know how to do this. And, um, and he's like, your kids don't need you to be perfect. They don't expect you to be perfect. They just need you to be humble enough to admit when you make a mistake and to ask for their forgiveness. And like that, oh, that was freeing, right? I was just saying, wow. And I've had to do that numerous times as a, as a dad to be like, you know what? I, I lost it. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And, and, and um, we teach kids that we are not the ultimate authority, but Jesus is King Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the master. Um, Paul's quoting from somewhere here, isn't he? You see those quotation marks in there? Honor your father and mother. Do you know where he's quoting from? Anybody? Anybody? I heard like... <laughs> the Ten Commandments, yeah. So he's like, he's appealing to this moment in Israel's story. So back uh, a long, long time, like back a thousand years or so, to... This, this moment in time when the children of Israel, like a million strong, have come out of slavery in Egypt and God brought them through the Red Sea, delivered them from, from slavery, and he brings them to Mount Sinai. And yes, that is actually how you pronounce it. Um, read it. It's not Sinai. Um, sorry if I just burst your bubble. Uh, so they brought them to Mount Sinai and they're there for about a year. Like, they're there for a year. It's just a couple chapters in the Bible, but it's, it's a long time. And God is coming, and he's going to make a covenant with the people, and he's going to, like, um, you know, teach them how to be in relationship with him, and he gives them these, and he doesn't call them commandments. He calls them the, the words. God spoke all of these words to his people. And one of these words God speaks about how to live and be fruitful in the land is this, Exodus 20, verse 12. He says, so honor your father and your mother, that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. They're on the way to the promised land, to this place where, where God will place them um, to be his people. And it's like, if you want to be prosperous, if you want to be fruitful, and if you want your lives to go well, honor your mother and father, because it will, it will go much better for you if you do that. And that just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I remember as a teenager going through the, like, the rebellious stage where like, my parents were dumb, and like, they didn't know anything, and like, I, you know, I, I got really smart really fast, and, and they were, you know, this was before it was like cool to say, okay, boomer, but you know, like that whole thing. Um, but that's how I felt, 
And I caused a lot of trouble for myself, right? I mean, I made things really hard for myself by not honoring my mom and dad. That I was very blessed to have good parents who loved me, and are they perfect? No. Um, but they wanted the best for me, and, and my rebellion did not help me. And this is just like, this is the picture that God has in mind. Um, it doesn't mean you're going to live to be, you know, 92 or you know, a hundred, you're going to live a long life. It just means like things are going to go better for you if this, if this is a reality. So Paul's saying, hey, children, you have dignity in Jesus. You have the power to make choices because Jesus loves you and he wants the best for you. So choose to love and honor your parents because of, if you learn to put yourselves under their authority, you're also learning to live under the authority of Jesus. Now, he shifts then, verse four, and he shifts to the parents. And he uses the word fathers here because in, in the first century, fathers had the authority, right? Mothers just kind of had to go along with it. But he uses the word fathers. In our context, I think it's very faithful to say parents, right? So parents, don't exasperate your children and instead bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Um, what in the world does that mean? Don't exasperate your children, Anybody else have another translation in their Bible? Frustrate. frustrate. Don't frustrate your children. Don't like it to provoke your children to anger. It's like, provoking. Uh, another translation says embitter. Don't embitter your children. What, it, like, what does that mean? To, to provoke, to taunt, to... Uh, yeah, provoke to anger, to exasperate, to embitter. What is it? What is it? What are the kinds of things that a parent can do to do these things in a child's heart? Where the child feels powerless, where a child feels like, man, I, I got no say so, and I'm just like living under a totalitarian regime in my house. And then it's just like our heart begins to turn away from our parents. You know the story, right? I mean, this this happens. Um, just, just a couple things. Like, what, what do parents do sometimes that maybe can do this in a child's heart? Like, one is, like, inconsistency, where, like, parents can go from, like, zero to 100 in a second. It's like we're doing something that, like, the kid's doing something that doesn't seem to be a big deal, and the parent notices it, and, but doesn't, like, say anything about it, and then all of a sudden, it's just, like, boom, the parent, like, loses it, and it goes from zero to, like, screaming at them. Or, or like the pulls them close and says, you know, I love you. And then the next minute is yelling at them and like kind of spewing venom at them. Like, oh man, this is the kind of stuff. Has anybody seen the movie Tree of Life by Terrence Malick? It's an interesting movie. Um, it's, it's kind of weird, whatever, beautiful movie, but kind of strange. Carmen didn't like it. I did. Um, and Sean Penn is in it and he's the, the kid in the movie. Uh, Brad Pitt is the is the dad, and Brad Pitt's character is like, he's this, he's inconsistent, he's all over the place, like he wants to love his kids, but then the next minute he's just like, get everybody, get out, and he's like, you know, he's a totalitarian in his, in his house, and the kids, their, their hearts get embittered, and they turn away from their dad, like sometimes we can do this as parents, unjust punishments, I mean, you ever do that as a parent where you just lose it, and you're just like, you will never eat candy again. Like just, you know, you bet the farm on something and you're just like, I shouldn't have done that. That was not right. Um, disciplining and anger. I mean, obviously, obviously abusing our power. I mean, it's terrible stuff. 
unjust punishments, uh, labeling. I mean, sometimes parents, they use their authority. And like, I, man, I've spent so much time in pastoral counseling with people who just have these labels that their parents stuck on them. You're so fill in the blank. I mean, I don't know that anything does more damage to a kid, to a little kid's heart than that, than, than the, the negative labeling that happens from a parent. And it, it, it embitters us. It turns our hearts away from our parents. And often it turns our hearts away from God too. The selfish use of authority. We come home and, right, we're tired and we just like, we just take over. Everybody go to your room and be quiet, you know? And we use our God-given authority selfishly and it, it does harm. And, and the last one, these, this is not an exhaustive list. These are just things that, that I've, I've noticed um, comparison. Oh man, does comparison hurt? Favoritism in a family. Um, why can't you be more light? And those words hurt a lot, don't they? One of my mentors, um, a guy I have a lot of respect for, he, he grew up in a, a very dysfunctional home where, where Jesus was not at the center. I mean, his parents didn't know Jesus, didn't have any desire to follow Jesus. And so he grows up in that environment. He had an older brother who was an incredible athlete, and he was not athletic at all, but he, but he loved to play music. He was a drummer. And, um, and so his brother had this, like, wall of honor. I don't, I don't remember what they called it, but all his, like, trophies and awards and stuff like that on the wall, and Greg didn't have any. And so uh, he's in this band, and he's drumming, and... Um, he has this really crummy drum set and they, they're getting good and the, the band is like, you, you gotta get a better drum set. Well, he didn't have money. His parents wouldn't give him money. So he decided if I go steal some records, this was a long time ago, go steal some records and sell them, I'll get money and then I can have a better drum kit and I'll you know, be in this band. Well, he tries to steal these records and he wears this big long trench coat to go into the record store, but it's like July 15th and... Um, you know, he's sweating bullets and whatever, and he comes out with like 32 records in his coat, and uh, undercover police officer's like, hey, can I see the receipt for those records you have in your coat? And he's like, ah, oh, busted. So he's just terrified, gets in the back of the police cruiser, goes down to the police station, and his parents come, and they're just, you know, they're livid, they're livid that he would do this. And he's on the way home, and his dad, and he's, his, this, this kid, he's like 16 years old, and his heart is already turning away from his parents, and his dad pulls up the, like, whatever the ticket is, the certificate of arrest, and he's like, maybe we'll go home and put this on the wall beside your brother's awards. He's like, at that moment, just everything turned. It's like, I didn't care. I didn't care about them. I didn't care what they said. And so it just sends him down this path of destruction of alcohol and drugs and, and, and sex and all this stuff that, that ends up doing damage to his life for about four or five years until Jesus gets a hold of him. And, and realizing that, my goodness, like our, like our worth, in God's design, our worth is always to come from God, from who he says we are, but it's supposed to come through our parents, right? I mean, our parents, we're, like, we're the ones who are entrusted to do that for our kids. But so many of us didn't have that story. And, and when it doesn't, like, and all of our parents are imperfect, and, and so we can't, they're not the Lord, right? They're just a reflection of that. But when our worth doesn't come from our parents, in fact, some of these, like, these negative things happen that embitter us, it turns our hearts away, and, and we just, like, we try to find it somewhere. We try to find worth somewhere, and it often leads us in these really self-destructive patterns. And maybe, like, maybe for some of us, we're still chasing, trying to find our worth from somebody. 
And the good news is that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. And the good news is, right, that, that his love for us, it, it, it doesn't change. It's not like fickle. It's not inconsistent. It's not, um, you, you know who Jesus is like, and this is not what Jesus is like. He is he, the riches of his grace toward us. So whatever your parents are like, maybe there's healing that needs to be done in your heart because you had parents like this. And, and to just come to Jesus and, and allow him to heal that place in your heart. Um. Let me just, real quickly, of just like the, the opposite side of this. How, what does training in the Lord look like, what Paul says? Just a couple of quick things. Um, man, the, you know what the best thing you can do as a parent is, or grandparent, or whatever? This, this doesn't matter how old your kids are. The best thing you can do for your kid is to love Jesus. I mean, it's the best thing you can do. Abide in the presence of Jesus. Be filled with the spirit of Jesus. Um, live in his presence. Let his words, right? Like you read the gospels and you soak in his words and you walk in the way of love, his teachings. The best thing you can do for your children, no matter what age they are, whether they're future children, right? Like you haven't had children yet. They're, maybe if God blesses you, they're, they're coming. But um, the best thing you can do is be formed in the way of Jesus now to abide in his presence, that he wants to form us into people who love him and use his authority to love and to serve others. Um, to train children in the Lord, um, it, catch them doing good. Like, man, we catch each other doing bad things all the time. Like, ah, I caught you. But catch each other, catch your kids doing something good. Be like, oh, I saw you. And I saw you do that. I saw the way that you cared for that person. I saw the way that you served that person. And you catch them doing good. And it's, it's amazing. Like, you just watch their eyes brighten up. Uh, and maybe you have to look really hard to find it. Right? Hey, good, you got out of bed today. Good job. Like, you know, I mean, look for it. Look for something and affirm it in your kids. Man, they need to hear it. They need to hear it. Name, um, this is one, name the why behind the rules. You know, you, you make a rule and you're like, but dad, why? Because I said so. Right? I've said that before, unfortunately. Um, but... I think it's always better to just say, okay, why? Why do we do this? Let me tell you why. Let's sit down and have a conversation. It's because, of, it's because of who Jesus is. It's because of who our authority is. This is why we do these things. Sit down and have a conversation with your kids and let them have some, like, let them have some back and forth. And I love this. In Exodus chapter 12, God is, is giving his people some instructions about how they're gonna remember the story of salvation from slavery in Egypt. And, he, and he's like, hey, so when your kids ask you this, why are we doing this, Dad? You tell them. You tell them this is why. Because this is what God is like. Because he saved us and redeemed us. And that's why we do these things. So, so always get to the, the why behind the rules. Let's sit and talk. Does that make sense? Man, this, this does so much for a kid's heart. Connect with love. Or excuse me, connect. Correct, too. Connect with love, but correct. I misread my own notes. So you're gonna have to correct your kids. Of course you do, or your, your grandkids. Um, and do it with love, to put yourself in their place, to say, how would I want to be corrected if this was me? And, and maybe your parents never did this to you, but you get a chance to change the story, to say, okay, what do I wish my parents had done for me if I was them? And I correct, and I correct them with love. I'm instructing and training them in the way of Jesus. Do it with love. Affirm their worth in Christ. Do this so much. Like God loves you, and he sees you, he's for you. Do this when you pray for them. 
Like, you know, just like, oh my goodness, God, you love and say their name and, and affirm their worth in Christ. God, you are their father. They belong to you. Let your kids hear you do this for them. And I realize this is a humbling thing for me to do with my kids in the room because, right, it's like, oh, I, I wish I did better at this stuff. Um, and so this is, I'm preaching to myself as much, as much as anyone else. Do you want your kids, two phrases, your, your kids, oh, it's like gold to hear you say, to hear them to hear you say this. I love you and I'm proud of you. I love you and I'm proud of you. Do you remember the story of Jesus at his baptism? Jesus, he, he goes into the waters of baptism and he's baptized by John, the baptizer. And he's there praying and says, the spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove and the heavens open up and there's this voice from Jesus' father in heaven that says this, behold, you are my son whom I love in you I am well pleased. This is what Jesus hears from his father. And I think God, our father, is modeling this. Of like what kids need to hear from their parents. What, is, what does God say? I love you. You're like, you're my child. And I love you. And I'm proud of you. Now, you want to hear the funny thing? The funny thing is that I was writing this like early in the week. And I wrote this. I'm like, hey, so when you say that to your kid, you know the next question they're going to ask you? When you say, I'm proud of you, especially if they haven't heard that much before, you know what they're gonna say? Why? Why are you proud of me, mom? Why are you proud of me, dad? And then I did this to my daughter last night, like we're kind of, you know, sitting on the couch before bed, and I said, oh, like, honey, I, I probably don't tell you often enough, but I'm really proud of you. And you know what her question to me was? Why? And so, like, why are you proud of your kids or your grandkids or, or whoever? And I think the, the usual answers we give, why are you proud of me, are your achievements, your accomplishments, the things you do, the things we're going to hang on the wall. I'm proud of you because you're good at stuff. And I, I would challenge us to say, well, you can affirm those things. But when they ask, why are you proud of me, I'm proud of you because of who you are. I'm proud of you because you're my child. I'm proud of you because of your character. And, and affirm those things that are deeper than what they achieve. Because if we affirm the achievements and we put that on the wall, that is what they will strive for. But if they know they are loved, no matter if they achieve or they don't, man, like it, it, it heals them at a much, much deeper level. I think this is how the gospel informs parenting, child relationships. Imagine a, a household like this. A, a household of peace and love and joy and safety in the middle of a world of chaos. I mean, imagine that, where there's like deep respect, parents serving and loving their kids, wanting the best for them, and parents on, or children honoring their parents. And, and again, I, it's, it's like sadly, there, there's so many of us who did not have this experience growing up. And again, I, I think maybe there's healing to do. And maybe you've never heard, you've never heard anybody Say, man, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Would you hear God say that today? I love you. You're my child. I see you, and I'm proud of you. And let his words, like, sink into that place. Sink into that deep, deep place where you're longing, trying to fill that need. Would you let him speak those words over you? And would you change the story for the next generation? 
Like maybe you never got this. Or maybe you, you feel some conviction because this is not the way that I raise my kids. This is like, I, I feel, oh, I feel like I, I, I blew it. And to know that we are never, it's never too late to begin this like Jesus-centered way of relating to our kids. It's never too late. Doesn't matter how old our kids are. If your kid is my, if your kid is in their 40s and you look at them and say, you know what, I wish I would have told you this more when you were young, but I just want you to know I love you. I'm really proud of you. Do it. Like, man, it's, it's so powerful. Um, do you know, it's like, it's a little bit like planting a tree. Do you know the best time to plant a tree? 40 years ago. <laughs> right? 40 years ago. I, man, I wish I'd have planted a lot of trees. I would have been one. But, you know, the idea. Because now all of a sudden there's shade to sit under it. There are branches to climb in. It's like, that's the best time to plant a tree. Do you know when the second best time to plant a tree is? Today. Today. And so we can look back and say, man, I wish these trees would have been planted 40 years ago. And I do too. And God does too. But you can plant trees today. And the next generation will sit under its shade and, and will we'll begin to have the fruit that comes from the branches. So I, I don't know. I think that's where we're going to stop today. I don't know what, what the Spirit is doing in, in your heart, what you need to hear. But let's just take, um, sometimes silence is, is just the best response, is just to like quiet our hearts and quiet um, you know, the noise around us and just open your heart to God. We sang that song, Come Lord Jesus, Come Holy Spirit. And just like let that be your prayer for about 30 seconds here. Worship team can come up. And then I'll close us with prayer. God, you know the labels that we wear that were never meant to be put on us. They were put on us to do harm. And they were spoken to us in anger. And Lord, I, I believe that there are some of us in this space that need healed of that. The things that our parents said to us that are not true because they don't reflect you. And they're not who we are. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that, that even now, even in those moments, you would just, just put your, your gentle hand on those labels. You'd bring them to mind as painful as they are. Things that we've we heard and we've internalized and we've believed. And would you just, would you peel them off of us? And we don't want to fight it. We just, we want to release it to you. To let you peel those labels off of us and to speak truth to us. God, I pray that you would speak truth to every one of us. That you are our Father who loves us. That you see us and you know us and you created us for yourself. You created us to be in relationship 
with you. You lived for us. You died for us. You redeemed us. You invite us into your family. And you tell us that you love us and you're proud of us. God, I pray that your words would bring healing to the deep, deep places of our hearts, places we don't even know are there. And God, that out of that, that we could, we could be people who spread like this peace and this love and this joy that you've put inside of us, that we would be just like signs of a new humanity right here in the middle of a dark world. Do your work in us by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.